All right, well, as we turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 26, chapter 1, verses 18 through 26, we're going to look at like the last five words of verse 18. We kind of split it in half between last week and this week. As we look at them, a thought struck me as I read Paul's words this week, as I studied Paul's words this week. It has been such a joy. It has been such a joy getting to know getting to know the people in this congregation. Whether it's text messages, emails, talking to you on a Sunday morning, whether it's going out and getting coffee, getting lunches, gaining weight, (laughs) whatever the case may be, it has been a joy to get to know you. As I've gotten to know you, there is a common thread, I think, that runs across all of our lives, and it runs across all of our lives regardless of our stage of life, our season of life. That common thread is this. We all face uncertainty. We all face uncertainties. I mean, look at the last election, right? Do we even know who's won? Do we know who controls the House? I think we know who's probably going to control the Senate. There's uncertainty there, right? And as we look across the political landscape, it can block our view of the spiritual landscape, where we we, we can get so caught up in in this uncertainty that we can miss what Jesus is certainly doing and the hope that we have in him. As we look at various seasons and stages of life, as I've gotten to know you, There's uncertainty, right? Like with our younger crowd, my middle schoolers, my high schoolers, right? There's uncertainty. Who are my real friends? Who can I trust? Who's talking about me behind my back? Who will stick with me through thick and thin? Those are questions I asked when I was in middle school, when I was in high school. At the end of high school and in college, it started to turn to this. What am I going to do with my life? Who am I going to hitch my life to? Not just Jesus, but in terms of a spouse, When will that happen? Will it happen? What will that person be like? What will the marriage be like? Then you get married. Most of us get the privilege of going on to having family. Some of us get the privilege of going on to serve Jesus in singleness. But as we go on and as we raise families, there's uncertainty, isn't there? What do I do with this six-pound mass, right? What do I do with a newborn as I hold it? How do I hold it and not, not accidentally mess up that little soft spot on the crown of the head. How do I change a diaper? I gotta Google this, right? But then there's more serious uncertainties. What will their life be like? What will they do? Will they come to faith in Christ? There's uncertainties. There's medical issues that they may have that we don't even know about yet. There's uncertainty. Then as we, as we get older, as I sit down and as I talk to you, as you become an empty nester, there's uncertainty. There's how will I spend my time, that's the big one, but the one that you all are teaching me that I did not think of is this. You've had so much time invested in the kids, it's been hard to invest in each other, and now that there's no kids and there's an ocean of silence, how do we reconnect? We've changed over the 20 to 25 years, we've raised children, and now there's some recalibrating, and that can lead to uncertainty. As we get even older, and as there's not just more salt than pepper in our hair, but if we have hair, right, and it's just salt because we've been seasoned with life, end of life issues can loom large. There's uncertainty about the legacy that I've left. Uncertainty, did my life count? Did our life count? There can even be the uncertainty of what's on the other side of my last breath. Is it really Jesus? Is it really Jesus? Some people can ask, is it just a switching of the lights? 
a doop, and then it's black forever. There's uncertainty. That's the common thread. Do you see this uncertainty? In the midst of this uncertainty that we all share that just takes different forms, we need the certainty. We need the sure grounding. We need something called assurance, the assurance that we are saved, the assurance that we belong to Jesus. And as we read Paul's words this morning, as he gets very personal, as he gets actually very, very deep, transparent, and vulnerable, we see a man who has certainty. We see a man who has assurance that Christ is his and he belongs to Christ, and that is not changing. As we look at his life, as we look at his certainty, his assurance of his salvation, guess what? We can learn about this. We can see that this certainty can be ours as well. And then we can look at how we can go out and get that. Look with me at Paul's words. Let's go to the text. As I go to verse 18, here's God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh... That means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you Again, brothers and sisters, friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. It is given to us in love and for our good. Did you hear Paul's rock rib conviction? Did you hear how certain he is about his future? The only uncertainty he has is whether he's going to live, whether he's going to die. And it's not actually which one, it's which one he would prefer. There's so much certainty in this passage. We need that. And our God holds it out to each and every one of us this morning. So let's look at this notion of assurance and let's ask three questions. When we look at assurance, we need to ask, what is it? Why do I need it? What difference does it make in my life? And how do I get it? What is it? What difference does it make? And how do I get this assurance? Let's go to that first one. What is it? Let's see what assurance is. Would you go with me to verses 18 through 20? Let's look at them as a chunk, right? Like, I don't think you can really like pull these apart in individual verses. That means I want to have to skip around a little bit, but let's look at verses 18 through 20 because we have a snapshot of a man who is assured of his future. How do we know? First off, let's get a little nerdy. Let's do a seminary lesson. Let's trace Paul's verbs. Look at those verbs. They're almost all in the future tense. They're almost all in the future tense. Look at verse 18 where Paul says, I will rejoice. He's looking forward to the future. Look at where Paul says in verse 19, I know this situation will turn out. Look at verse 20, I will not be ashamed or I will not be put to shame. 
Look at verse 20. Christ will be honored in my body. Paul is a man who is certain of his future. He is not worried. He is not anxious. He is confident. That's the first feature of our first couple of verses. What's the second feature we need to see? Look at the words Paul uses. This is the second feature. Look at the words that he uses. It shows the strength of his certainty. In verse 19, he says he knows. He knows. Not he thinks. Not he feels. Not he's pretty sure. But he knows. He knows. And then look as he goes on in verse 20. He eagerly expects his deliverance. He's counting on it. He's banking on it. And then we see in verse 20 again, it is his hope. It is his hope. Now let me stand over here. Let's talk about hope. When we hear hope, what do you and I hear when we hear the word hope? We hear hope used this way. We hear something like this. I hope the Bears draft a bunch of offensive linemen. I hope the Bears get a new offensive line. That's how we use the word hope. I hope I win the lottery. But that's not the hope that Paul has in mind here. We need the biblical definition of hope. John Piper defines hope this way. He says, biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. There's a confidence there. There's a grounding there. When Paul says hope, he's actually double-clicking on those words, eager expectation. He's doubling down. He's taking it to the bank. Paul's putting in a bold font. He's convinced. He is certain. He is sure. Friends, who do we have here in Paul? We have a man who is convinced of his future. We have a man who has a rock-ribbed conviction that does not house a trembling heart. Paul needs a backbone as he faces a Roman, Roman tribunal, and God has wrapped his spine in bands of titanium. He is a man who just knows that his future is secure. So despite a death sentence hanging over his head, he can rejoice as the future approaches. This is who Paul is. But what is he so convinced of? What is he so sure of? What does he have this rock rib conviction about? What is that? Look at verse 19. It's his deliverance. It's his deliverance. Let's parse this deliverance out. What does that mean? Well, that word deliverance translates the Greek word for salvation. Paul is saying, I will be delivered. I will be saved. But we got to ask, okay, how is he going to be delivered? How? How is he going to be saved? Is Paul saying, I will be delivered, I will be saved from jail when I am set free? Or is Paul saying, because I will be executed, I will be delivered, I will be saved because I'll go to be with Jesus. Friends, in this case, when you look at the end of verse 20 and you see those words, either life or death, you see that Paul is talking about both. It is a both and. It is a both and. Paul is saying this. He's saying this. He is saying, I know Jesus has been good to me. I know Jesus is being good to me. I know Jesus will continue to be good to me. One way or another, in life or in death, I will be delivered. I will be saved from these chains that I wear. Paul is a man who knows Jesus Christ all too well. 
This is a man who has confidence, who has conviction, who has clarity about Christ's plan for him. We call this assurance of salvation. Did you know that you, you can have this same assurance? Did you know that this is a gift from God that he gives to all of his children? Let's look at other passages in the Bible. Let's see this at play. Go with me to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. What does it say there? We heard this in our gospel assurance, our gospel pardon. John says he's writing the letter 1 John. Why? Why? So you can know, do you hear assurance? That you have eternal life. And who is he writing this to? Those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God. John writes an entire letter of the Bible just so people can know, so they can have assurance. That's not the only place in the Bible we see this. There's, there's a long list of verses I could give you, but let's go to the book of Hebrews. Let's go to chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. As we get there, we see this. We have as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Sure, steadfast. Do you hear assurance? Do you hear that concept being invoked? We have a hope that sure, certain hope that enters into the inner, inner palace behind the curtain where Jesus has gone. Jesus ascended into heaven. That's what this is saying. So that you and I can have assurance. Oh, friends, an apostle wanted his people and wants us to have assurance. Jesus Christ himself ascended so that we can have assurance. This is good news. God wants you to have this confidence. He wants you to know that you belong to him and that your future really is secure. What does it look like? What does it look like? What does it mean to have this assurance? Here's what it means here, what it looks like. Assurance is your confidence that God has saved you, is saving you, and will save you when Jesus comes back. Assurance means you are grounded in the heart knowledge that God really did pick you before the foundations of the earth, and now your life is built on that foundation. Assurance means that you can smile at the thought that Jesus had you on his mind when he came to this earth, I guess leaving the chute from heaven to earth to come and live for you. Assurance means you don't have to feel regret over past mistakes because you no longer walk in your old deeds. God looks at you and no longer sees that. You no longer have old desires. You have new desires. And why? Because you walk in the perfect robes of Jesus' sinless, perfect, righteous life. Assurance means you just know in your bones that Jesus purchased you with his blood and that he will never refund you. Assurance means you live with the certainty that God approves of you right here, right now in the presence. And assurance means that you can live with the certainty that God will approve of you when you stand before his throne, when you die or when Jesus comes back. When you have assurance, you can rest easy when they put your body into the ground. Why? because you know that your soul will go to be with Jesus and you will await that perfect resurrected body. Assurance of salvation is a gift from God and it is a gift he wants you to have. You can have faith, but not have assurance. 
We talked two weeks ago about perseverance, where God will work to persevere you. That is unchanging. That is a fact. Think of it this way. Assurance is, do I rest in that perseverance? Your assurance is like a muscle. You can work it out and grow it, or if you don't work it out, it will atrophy and die. God wants you to have assurance. It is a gift. It is a gift. And when you have it, when you grow in it, it becomes a force in your life that makes a mighty difference. How? Well, let's look at that now. Let's go to our second question. What difference does this assurance make? Why do I need this assurance? Well, friends, what different would it make? How would you live differently? Well, let's start here. Let's start here. The first difference that assurance makes in your life is this. When you have assurance, you rest in the fact that God will never disgrace you. God will never put you to shame. Look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. Paul says in the ESV that he will not be ashamed. The NASB translation actually unpacks it really nicely and gives it a little more color, a little more flavor. The NASB says, I will not be put to shame. God will not put me to shame. Paul, Paul is in jail. He might be sentenced. And he can say, my God will never disgrace me. Think about this. Think about this. If Paul is executed for his witness, it might look like he's being disgraced. It might look like public shame. He will have to endure crowds. He'll have to endure mockery. He will be jeered just like his Savior was at the cross. But just like the cross, just like the cross, we have to ask, is that the final reality? Is that even the ultimate reality? Is that the number one thing that should be in the forefront of Paul's own vision? No, 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 no. If Paul is sentenced by a Roman court, then his next stop is to go before God's court. And what will happen as he goes to God's court? What will the response be there? As Paul enters into the halls of heaven, there will be a warm, hearty, home welcome for a son, right? Have you ever had a child come home and you're happy? Have you ever been the child who comes home and there's a party? That's what it's like. That's what it's like. It's not the jeering of a crowd. As you stand before all the folks of heaven, all the hosts of heaven, You will not be jeered at. You will not be sneered at. God will not frown at you, no. Paul will hear God, the judge, and God, his father, say, they may have judged you guilty on earth, but I'm reversing that verdict. I judge you as innocent here in heaven and on earth. Friends, we will not be put to disgrace. In Christ, Paul has already been acquitted in the heavenly courtroom, and no human courtroom can take that away. Paul is assured that ultimately, ultimately, he will not be disgraced. And he takes that to the bank. Now, what about you? What about me? What if we could know? What if we could trust? What if we could rest knowing that God will do the same for you and for me? What would it be like? Right? Like, picture yourself standing before the millions, the billions, the trillions in heaven. Everyone all around looking at you, God in the center looking at you, would you be confident or would you be timid? And not just because you're an introvert or an extrovert, but as the weight of your life was put in the scales, could you be confident? Could you be timid? Which one would it be? What if you could know? What if you could rest assured 
that God will point at you before all of heaven and say, this is fill in the blank, put your name in there. This is, this is my son. This is my daughter. He now stands complete. She stands perfect. He stands sinless. She stands not guilty. This is my son. This is my daughter. Let's hear it for him. Let them in. What would it be like to hear your father in heaven say, you have run your race. It is now complete. Well done, my good and faithful servant. What if you could rest assured in that? Right? Like, wouldn't that make a difference? Wouldn't that change things? Oh, friends, this is powerful. And in Christ, this really is your future. So let's ask again. If you could live certain and assured that this is your destiny, how would you live differently? What difference would this kind of assurance make? Well, number one, you can rest easy in the knowledge that God will never put you to disgrace. What's number two? Number two is this. Number two is this. This kind of future assurance, this kind of future assurance would give you courage. It would give you courage. Look at verse 20. Paul says that because he is assured of his future, he has full courage. And he has that courage now, but he has that courage always. As long as Paul has his assurance, he has courage. He has courage. I mean, if you were certain that you would be publicly proclaimed and lauded in heaven, you would have courage too. You'd have the courage to admit in the now where you need help growing to be more like Jesus. You'd have the courage to live without pretenses or show. You'd have the courage to live not caring what others thought about you, not charting your course by what they think or what they say. We said last week that for a life of outreach, the number one thing we need is boldness. What did we say as to how to get boldness? We said you need confidence in the Lord. You need assurance. Assurance makes a difference in our lives because we know that we will never be disgraced by our God. But assurance also makes a difference in our lives because it gives us courage. That's two. What's three? Three is this. Three is this. This kind of future assurance would fuel you to live all the more for Jesus and all the more for other people. Look at the first half of verse 21. To live is Christ. To live is Christ. What does that mean? Well, we unpack it in verse 22, where Paul says, if I live, that means there's fruitful labor for me. And what is that fruitful labor? Look at, verses 20, look at verse 24. It's to live for you, O Philippians. In verse 25 and 26, we see, we see that he's going to live for Jesus, to serve Jesus, but he's going to live to serve them by advancing their progress in joy in the gospel. Because Paul has assurance his life has meaning, his life has purpose, and everything else that is clutter gets shoved to the side so he can focus on serving Jesus and serving others. Can I tell you a story? Can I tell you a story? I got to talk to one of you this week, uh, a person who works with the elderly. This lady tells an amazing story. She tells the story of Miss MJ. Miss MJ is a lady who lived in an assisted living facility, and Miss MJ had assurance of her salvation. She had this assurance despite having to bury her daughter. 
It was tragic. It was sad. When her daughter died, Miss MJ did not steer away from the hard questions of God. She put before the Lord, why? Why not swap? Why not take me and spare my daughter and let her go on living? Miss MJ was honest with other people about the pain and the hurt that she faced. But Miss MJ was certain. She was certain of her daughter's future. She was also certain about her future. She knew her days were numbered. She's in in an assisted living facility, right? She doesn't have much time. She doesn't know how much time she has. But she was as certain of her future as she was her daughter's future. But Miss MJ's future had not arrived yet. For her to live was Christ. There was fruitful labor. So what did she do? What did she do? She knew she still had work to do for Jesus. So what did she do? She did this. She shared her faith with others in the nursing home. She'd speak of God's goodness to her. She would speak of God's goodness to her daughter. She would speak of God's goodness to her daughter through teary eyes. Oh, but she'd share her faith. She'd share her faith. Her joy in the Lord would come through in such a way that made her magnetic. Have you ever sat down with someone where you know Jesus is present and at work in their life, especially that bubbly old saint of a lady who's so sweet, who's so kind, and she just exudes Jesus? Do you know the type? No? Well, I hope you meet one. It's a treasure. They're gems. Oh, she would speak of the Lord and her joy in the Lord that made her magnetic. I am told that her eyes sparkled and danced even though the color had faded. I am told that as she spoke of her Jesus, you could just feel Christ's presence in her and through her. How could she be this way despite her pain? Because she was grateful to Jesus for her future and that made her want to serve him in the present. Because she knew the joy of her future salvation, she wanted others to have it also. For her, as with Paul, to live was Christ. And that meant there was fruitful labor in serving his people and helping other people to become Jesus' followers. When we have assurance, it really does fuel us to live for Jesus, to go to work, to work in the home, to go to school, to to recreate, to have hobbies with Christ as the center where we're laboring for him. It calls us to live for Christ and to live for others, just like Paul and just like Miss MJ. So what do we learn? What do we learn about assurance? We learn this. We learn that our God will never disgrace us. We learn that as we have assurance, we will be more courageous. We learn that as we have assurance, it fuels us to live for Jesus and to live for other people. What's the fourth and final thing we learn in our passage about assurance? We learn this. We learn that assurance would equip us to see death as a benefit. It's like, Stop, rewind. Did he really just say that? Did you catch what Paul just said? Look at verse 21. He says to die is gain. Y'all like to make fun of me for saying y'all and for saying profitable. I'm going to say it. To live is Christ and to die is, say it, profitable. To die is profitable. It's not just neutral. It's not just something to not fear. It's something to embrace. It's gain. Paul says that again in verse 23 when he says, it would be far better for me to depart and to do what? To go to be with Jesus. Paul is clear. He could be executed. He kind of wants to. Why? Because it gets him to a better place. It gets him home 
to be with his Savior. Can I tell you a story? Did you know that soldiers fear death? Soldiers fear death. Let me tell you about Christmas Eve 2006. This is one of my firefights while on a combat tour in Iraq. I remember we had to position our vehicles along a road that our company was securing. It was the second most IED or bomb-laden road in all of Iraq. We had to spend the night there securing it. We were rocked with IEDs. We were in a bad neighborhood. And sure enough, as the bombs on the road started going off, a bullet slapped the metal plates on our vehicle. One of my soldiers went down, and I couldn't get him on the radio. I was asking him, you okay, you there? Ultimately, I had to get down, drop my weapon, take my helmet off, run to the back of the vehicle because he's got the rear security from, we call it three to nine o'clock, the entire 180 degree arc. We need him up. We need him in the fight. But as the bullet struck the metal plate right by him, he dropped, not because he was hit, not to take cover, but I found him, helmet off, rifle put to the side, sitting down, just rocking. He was just rocking. Why? Why? We tried to get him out of it. We tried to get him back in the fight, but we couldn't. Why? He was in a stupor for most of the rest of the night. Why? Why? I knew why. I knew he lived with regrets. I knew he was thinking about his son back home, a son that he had some regrets about, a son he wanted to get back to, a son he wanted to be involved in, whose life he wanted to be involved in, and that made him not want to die. He was not ready for it. He was not ready for it. He is not a coward. He's a brave man. He's a good man. But friends, it shows us that death really is a powerful thing. But you know what's more powerful than death? Freedom from death. Freedom from death. And friends, assurance grounds us in the conviction that we really are free from death. Can I tell you another story? Another story. Some of y'all were present when I did my first funeral. I remember the lady, and there's the stories I heard of her as a lady who I did not have the joy of meeting. I wish I had. I wish I had. I remember the sheer awe her family had of her walk with Jesus. I remember the stories of her kindness and just how godly and saintly and holy she was. I heard a story that if she was faced with a long line at the grocery store, she would not get mad. No, she said, that's just Jesus giving me more time to share the gospel. And she'd walk up and down the grocery store line trying to share her faith with people. That's a woman. That's a woman after God's own heart right there, isn't it? Oh, yes, it is. Oh, friends, she had Bible verses plastered all over her kitchen, all over her refrigerator. They were everywhere. When I looked through her Bible, I felt ashamed because of how many underlines, how many highlights, and how many notes she had. I was like, well, I need to be underlining my Bible, right? Oh, this woman loved her Jesus. She loved the Bible. And in her letter, I got to read her letter with her final requests. The verse she wanted, any guesses? Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This lady had an unquestioned rock-ribbed assurance that Jesus Christ had claimed her. She knew that he would not put her to shame. She was confident that he held her future. Unlike my soldier, I could tell that this lady did not fear death. She embraced it. How do I know that? Because in her letter, she wrote time and time again, let me go. Miss me a little, but let me go. 
She'd write a little bit more and you'd see that same line, let me go. Miss me a little, but let me go. This woman knew that death was gain and to depart was far better. When you are in Christ, death really is gain. Assurance helps that knowledge to become real. It helps it to not just be head knowledge that you learn in a Sunday school class or a catechism class or a youth group. It helps it to become heart knowledge that you can build your life on. Friends, assurance of salvation really is a game changer. It really does make a difference. We need it. When we are convinced that we will have a warm reception in heaven and that God will not put us to disgrace or shame, it really does give us courage. It really does fuel us to live for Jesus and to live for others, and it really does equip us to see that death, yes, is profitable. But that leaves us a final question. That leaves us a final question. How do we get it? How do we get it? Okay, Pastor John, I'm sold. That sounds good. I need that. I want that. Now tell me, how do I get it? How do I get it? You said it's a muscle. I got to work it out. How do I work it out? Well, let's ask. How did Paul get his assurance? How did he get his rock rib conviction? Look with me at verse 19 again. One way Paul knew that he was going to be delivered is because other people were praying for him. We should be praying for each other. We should be praying for each other's assurance and perseverance. But I want to hone in on the second thing that Paul says. Paul says he knows He knows he will be delivered. Why? Because it's through the spirit of Jesus Christ helping him. Now, the ESV is good and fine there, but I really, really like the way the NASB and the NIV help unpack it. Look at what they say. Look at what they say. Let's go there. It's the provision of the spirit. It's not just that the Spirit is there helping me. It's that God has given me the Spirit. In fact, look at it in the NASB, let's go, or the NIV, excuse me. It said God's provision of the Holy Spirit. Paul says he knows he will be delivered. Why? Because the Spirit of Jesus Christ has been given to him, has been provided to him. I love having the Holy Spirit. I hope you do too. Why should we love having the Holy Spirit? Why should it be a real thing? And how does that give us assurance? Let's review. Let's let's learn who the Holy Spirit is. He is the presence of Christ in you. If Jesus is with you, if the Spirit of Jesus is with you, if the Spirit of Jesus is the Holy Spirit and is with you, Jesus is present with you at all times, and you can be confident that he's right there and he will save you. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, is the one who changed your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. That means he has given you Jesus' desires and written God's ways on your hearts. Why would he abandon you or give up on you? Why would he start a work and not finish it? He won't, so you can be assured. The Spirit of Jesus Christ is the one who has carried Christ to you, and he is the one who is cultivating Christ in you. Why would he not complete Christ in you? There's assurance. The Spirit of Jesus Christ is the one who challenges you, who convicts you, who comforts you, who encourages you when you stumble and fall or when tragedy comes your way. He does this by opening God's word so you can hear your Father's voice. He does this as he sends grace down the feeding trough of your faith in worship, in prayer, in the Lord's Supper, and in your baptism. 
He is with you in your weakness, groaning for you when you don't even know what to pray. He takes your awkwardness, your insecurities, your doubts, your incompetencies, and he dusts them off like a piece of lint on your shoulder, sets you down, and then he gifts you and empowers you to be used by the Almighty. Oh, friends, he is at work in your life. Have you known his work in your life? Have you known the growth that he brings, the grace that he brings? If he is at work in your life, then that is evidence that you were chosen for salvation before the world was even made. If he is at work in your life, that is evidence that Jesus really did live for you, really did come for you, really did die for you, and really did rise for you. And that's evidence that he will come for you. That is evidence that your salvation is going forward in the present. And when you have all of that evidence, then you have all of the confidence you need to know that your salvation will carry you one day across the oceans of oblivion, bringing you at home in heaven so you can rest in the arms of your Redeemer with death dead forever. Oh, brothers and sisters, If God's giving you the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, has accomplished all of this for you, then it must really be true when the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is God's down payment who secures your future. You can confidently take it to God's bank that your home really is in heaven and that you really will arrive there. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has made the down payment, Jesus' blood is paying the mortgage, and guess what? Your Father owns the note anyways. Oh, friends, you can be confident that you won't default because He will not default on you. He does not know how. Finally, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. And if it is the spirit of Jesus Christ who raised him from the dead is the same spirit that gives you faith, gives you union with Christ by faith, connects you to Christ by faith, then if he raises Jesus, you can trust that he will raise you too when they lower you in your grave. Oh, friends, Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose. Jesus and this beautiful news of the gospel This is something that we hear all the time. But what I don't think we hear enough of is that Jesus ascended and sat down and reigned. And one of his first acts as a reigning king was to send you his spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus. And friends, he did that to give you assurance. How do we get that assurance? Here's how. We rehearse, number one, we rehearse God's promises in the gospel to ourselves We can walk through all that the Holy Spirit does. We can walk through all that Jesus has done. We can walk through all that God the Father has done and know that this is our grounding. It helps us to not look at our life, but to look at his life and to rest there. And that brings assurance. Number two, what else can we do? We can reflect on the Spirit's work in our lives, how we've grown in Christ. Those times where we've had those God things or God moments where he just showed up and we were not expecting it and he moved and he acted and we can take those as deposits in the bank of assurance and we can build that balance. Friends, as we rehearse God's promises to ourselves, as we reflect on the Spirit's work in us, those are two ways we can grow in assurance. What's the third? The third is this. We come to this table. We come to this table, why? Why? because it represents the body and the blood. 
It represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ who has secured that assurance for us, but we also know there's something real spiritually that happens here, and that is this. We are fed on him, we are nourished on him, and therefore we are strengthened in him and we grow in our assurance. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for that which we do not deserve, grace. Thank you for the grace represented by this table. Thank you for this opportunity to come and to share a meal, Father, with you and with our brothers and sisters, a spiritual meal where we will be strengthened. Father, we know that we will persevere, but we can waver in our assurance. As we come to this table now, Father, please grow us in that assurance so that we can go out and live, Father, knowing that you've never disgraced us and never will, having the courage that we need, having the fuel to live for Jesus and other people, and seeing that death cannot stop us. It's actually to our benefit. We love you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.